Our scripture for this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. He left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. And he could do no deeds of power there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, Shake off the dust that is on your feet as testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. The word of God for us this morning. Thanks be to God. How do we deal with failure and rejection? My guess is not well. Right? Anybody do great with failure and rejection? Anybody an expert on that? We all experience failure and rejection in our lives, right? And if you've experienced failure or rejection, you know that you have several automatic responses to failure and rejection. One of them is anger. When somebody treats us badly, when somebody hurts us, when somebody... Uh, treats us unfairly. One of the natural reactions is anger. It's to lash out at them, to say, you know, I like that Old Testament scripture about one eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You know, maybe they've hurt me, I want to hurt them. You know, we immediately think of retribution and doing our own form of justice. Sometimes we, we just want to quit. Whatever it is that we were doing, we just want to quit. We're like the kids. We want to rage quit. I'm done. Not dealing with them anymore. Not going to talk to them anymore. I'm just going to stay away from them and never deal with them again. We do that rage quitting often, and oftentimes we have to take that rage back. There's a reason the kids call it rage quitting. They get a rage, they quit, and then they realize they still want to be in relationship with that game, and they go back. And we do that with our family and friends all the time, don't we? You know, we kind of rage quit, and then, yeah, we make up and we go back. Sometimes failure and rejection makes us feel like there's something wrong with us. 
we take it personal. We start asking, what did I do? And what's wrong with me that this happened? Or what is the situation? What does this say about me? And it hurts our self-esteem, you know? Think about it. You start doubting yourself. You start second-guessing yourself. You start, you know, thinking, could I have done that better? Uh, and sometimes it just makes you want to retreat. It makes you self-conscious. Anybody ever feel like you're walking on eggshells around somebody? You're kind of afraid saying this or doing that because you're afraid it's going to cause an escalation or a problem. All of these are natural reactions we have to failure and rejection, things that we, that we face all the time. But today's scripture teaches us a little bit about how Jesus dealt with rejection. It teaches us how he dealt with what some might call failure. You see, in the scripture that we have read today, Jesus has just come from a and wonderful ministry. He's been and about. In the prior chapter, he healed uh, the daughter of a synagogue leader. He healed a woman with blood flow. He had done a number of miracles. I mean, by all measures of success, Jesus' ministry was on the uprise. He could no longer go anywhere without being recognized. That's when you know you made it, right? When you go somewhere and everybody knows who you are, you're making it, right? And so Jesus has done all of this by all stretch of the, of the, of the imagination and by all calculations. He is a success in ministry by the following that he has he's got, by the power that he is exhibiting, by the teaching. And you know, when you're a success and you come home to your hometown, you expect parades. You know, if your football team wins and they come home, what happens? There's a parade at the airport. There's a celebration. There's balloons. There's fireworks. There's all kinds of stuff, right? So you would have imagined that when Jesus came to his hometown after doing all of these things and word is spreading of his fame and all of the things that he is doing, that he would be received with wonderful celebration in Nazareth. But that didn't happen. The scripture says, in fact, he came home and there was no even recognition who he was. He shows up at synagogue on the Sabbath day as was his custom because that's what you do when you go home, you go to church, you know? If you've ever been back home and you've lived away from home, one of the things you do is you go back to your home church to see all those older people that you remember, right, growing up with, those people that knew you when you were about that far off the ground, the people that know things about you that you don't want anybody else to hear about. And so Jesus goes to the synagogue. It's a Sabbath day, just a regular Sabbath day, and he shows up at the synagogue. And the scripture says that he began to teach. And when he began to teach, people were astounded. They were amazed. He, he was speaking with authority, with wisdom, with understanding, with power. And they all began to ask themselves, where does this man get this? Where is he coming from? You know, the first time you preach in front of your crowd, you never forget. You just never forget. I was 13 
years old. And my dad thought that it would be a good idea to put this 13-year-old in front of the congregation to preach because I told him that I had a call to ministry that I had received at summer camp. And it was the children's ministry day, and he thought, this is perfect. We'll put you up there and you preach. I was brought back to the 13-year-old time because during the week, I saw a picture of our mission trip to Puerto Rico in 2018. And I remembered my experience of coming home to Puerto Rico for the mission trip. Here we are with a mission team of adults, all prepared to do things, and the first words out of the church members in the church in Puerto Rico were, Hi, Mikey! And immediately I remembered for them I was Mikey. I was that 13-year-old that preached in the church as a kid, telling everybody that he had been called to ministry I remember that that first time was very difficult. If you've never preached, it's not as easy as it looks. Getting up in front of a crowd and sharing the word. And your first time is even more difficult when it's your hometown folks. Well, I can tell you I got up there and there was people sleeping in the first three pews. There was people talking through my whole sermon in back rows. And there was people coming in and out the whole time, all seven minutes of my preaching. <laughs> at the end of the service, I was greeted at the door by people that said that was very cute. I remembered that I preached on the light of Christ and how we are all in darkness and we all need it. And I thought it was such an important message to share. And the responses I got at the door were just like, it was okay. I could have let this crush me. I could have let this stop me in my tracks as I felt called to ministry. I remember some people that in their best interest kind of said, well, you don't know what you want to be when you grow up. Maybe you'll be a doctor or a lawyer or something else. I could have let all of those things that would have been seen as rejection of my call and my ministry just basically shut me out of ministry. But at that point, I had to make a decision. Do I go for up? Do I believe in the call that God has placed on my life to send me out? Or do I listen to all of this and internalize it and let it frustrate me? I'm sure when Jesus walked into that synagogue on that Sabbath day, there was the old regular crowd that had seen him grow up. There were all the regulars and they were probably sitting in their same exact spots. Nobody does that nowadays, right? They were probably talking about him once they realized who he was. And they were murmuring among each other. They were saying, isn't that little Jesus, the one that used to play with our kids in the backyard, the son of Mary, the carpenter, you know, the son of the carpenter and the carpenter? Because, you know, Jesus had to work with Joseph in his, in his trade. I'm sure that 
work for some of these people in town and they're going isn't he a carpenter who does he think he is getting up in front of us and sharing the word of God who does he think he is getting up before us and trying to teach us they recognized him and they said hey aren't his brothers and sisters still in town you know and it's, I think it's interesting that there's not a mention of his brothers and sisters being in synagogue with him because I wonder how many of his brothers and sisters resented him. Be more like Jesus. Can't you be as perfect as your brother? You know, all of the times that they had to look up to Jesus, all those years, because he did no wrong. Can you imagine how hard that must have been for them? I mean, I think there's a reason the brothers and sisters of Jesus did not follow in his ministry until after his resurrection. They resented him. They resented how perfect he was. They resented how he went out and did his own thing. Many of them stayed in town with mom. And they did what the normal Jewish boys and girls did. They stayed and did the family. They did the work. They didn't move away. But Jesus had gone and he had become a man who had a mission and a calling from God. That little Jesus had grown up. He wasn't the same as before. And at that point, when they realized that it was that Jesus that grew up in that town, they took offense at him. How dare he come in here and try to teach us? We know where he grew up. We know where he came from. We've seen him running around. Jesus recognized and called out the rejection. Prophets are not without honor except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. You know, I think that gives us a little insight as to what it must have been like to grow up being Jesus. Being resented by some folks. Being marginalized by others because People must have known about Joseph and Mary and him being born out of wedlock. So many things that he must have experienced growing up, maybe kids picking on him. Because of his upbringing, because of his parents, Jesus knew what rejection felt like. Yet he was amazed at one thing, their unbelief. He was surprised that they couldn't believe because he had been doing miracles. He had been healing sick people. He had been raising the dead. He had been doing things that nobody else had been able to do. Yet this was not enough to overcome their prejudice. Scripture says that he was unable to do great works of power, only that he laid hands on some folks and, and healed them. You know, it's interesting. For Jesus, laying hands on folks and healing them is small potatoes. For us, it's like, woo, big potatoes. He's like, that's nothing. That's the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more. He says that's all he could do. He just laid a few hands on sick people and they were made well. You would think that this hometown rejection would have been a huge setback for Jesus. Many of us might have gone home pouting and telling all of our friends, I'm never going back in that synagogue again. We would have rage quit. 
All of us would have rage quit. All of us would have been, well, you all don't want any of this. Well, you're not getting any of this. We're going to go. We're going to leave and, and never come back. After all, if they don't welcome you in your hometown, what chance do you have to make it out in the real world, right? I mean, isn't that what they say, that you have to make it in your hometown in order to make it big? But Jesus did not pack it in. He did not quit. He didn't just say, I'm done. Instead, the scripture tells us that he went to the villages surrounding the area and he continued to teach. He did not stop. He did not slow down. In fact, he picked up. He upped the ante. He called his 12 disciples and he gave them authority to go in pairs and to do the things that he had been doing, to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to call people to repentance. And he said, go into all these villages, go into all this area. And this is the first that we have of the multiplication of the kingdom of God that one becomes six groups of two and then those six groups of two become 120 divided by two and those 120 become thousands in the early church and those thousands become hundreds of thousands over the course of the history of Christianity Jesus was giving us an example of what you do when you get rejected. When other people say that you're a failure, you up the ante, you go for more. You take the authority that God has given you and you multiply the kingdom of God. He prepared them for rejection though. Because one thing you have to know is that if you follow Jesus, you're going to experience rejection. If they didn't accept the Son of God who was perfect, I can guarantee you they're going to find fault with you. They're going to find something to hang their hat on to not listen to you when you try to share the truth. And what he said about prophets not being without honor in their hometown, it's true. How hard is it to witness to your own family and your own blood? Sometimes I think it's a lot easier to speak to a stranger about Jesus than it is to speak to somebody who knows you so well or who shared their life with you. They know all your ups and your downs and therefore they pick on you because of that. We would do well to learn from Jesus about how to deal with rejection when we're going to face it because the disciples knew when they went out because he told them, he said, if you go into a place and they welcome you, go in, stay with them. Don't move around. It's not about your comfort. It's not about you finding good accommodations. Go and stay with them until you leave that place. But if they don't welcome you, if they reject you, shake off that dust and go on to the next place. In one of my appointments, I remember going in knowing that there would be some rejection. I was warned ahead of time that there were some prejudices among some members in the congregation. And I went to my first service and I preached my first sermon and I was met by a man at the door. He said, I'm so glad you speak English. They told us they were sending us some Hispanic dude. 
And I was worried that you weren't going to speak our language. And you weren't from around here. I was in the country, by the way. Now, I could have taken that and gone, man, I am not ministering to this guy. He was rude. He was mean. He's got a preconceived notion of who I am. He didn't even know where Puerto Rico was. I showed him in a map later on because he didn't even know where I was from. For him, all of us are Mexican, by the way. It was a kind of rejection and preconceived notion that I'm sure many people face all the time when it comes to their faith. People think they know where you're coming from. They think they know your story. They think they understand where you've been and what you've been through. But the reality is only God knows you that well. I must admit that like Jesus, I was shocked at this man's disbelief in my call and my being sent to ministry in that church. Because I had been sent with authority from the bishop to be the pastor of that church. But if you're a pastor, you know that authority is just one element of ministry. You have to earn the respect of the people that you pastor with and that you minister with. You have to build relationship. When I left 10 years later from that church, that man and his wife had me over to their house. They wanted to apologize for the way they had received me when I first had come to them in ministry. This doesn't happen often, by the way. But it did in this occasion. You see, you can't win everybody. But you certainly can't quit at the first sign of rejection or trouble. You have to continue to share the love of Christ throughout your ministry, throughout your life, throughout your witness, that people will get to know Jesus through you even when they don't want to. The disciples went and did exactly as Jesus told them. They proclaimed that all to repent. They cast out many demons and anointed many with oil who were sick and cured them. The rejection that Jesus had received did not shut down his ministry. It propelled it to a new level. And it should also do the same for you. Someone needs to receive your testimony and your witness. And if this door right here doesn't open, there's another door down the road that you still need to knock on. You can't allow yourself to quit because God still has a plan for you to witness to somebody along the way. When we got to go back to that mission trip in Puerto Rico, I was asked to preach on the Sunday. And it was one of the greatest honors that I've ever received. You know, when they invite you back after 30-something years, it's a good sign. It was only the second time I've preached at this church in this many years. And I remember getting up in front of the congregation and telling them about one of my biggest rejections. When I was 13 year old, I was part of the choir at that church. And I was told to move my lips and not make a peep. I couldn't sing 
still can't that well. And I told him, I said, I was told not to sing, to move my lips, to look cute, and not sing. And I told him, I said, I could have taken that, and I could have taken that rejection and said, I'm not going into ministry. But instead, I recognized that my gifts and talents were in another area called preaching and teaching, and I went into that. <laughs> I did not become a music minister for a reason. Can't sing. But when I shared that, the choir director was in the audience, and I didn't remember her, because I was 13. She was there when I preached this sermon. Needless to say, there was an awkward moment at the end of the service. When I came up to her and she said, you don't remember me, and I didn't, but I am that choir director. Shook her hand and I said, thank you for propelling me into ministry. You just helped me know that singing was not my talent. Thank you. And I went on. Sometimes when you get rejected, it is just because God is trying to direct you into another area, into another place, into another person, into another course you need to follow. And you don't need to see rejection as something that reflects negatively on you personally, but maybe as something that you need to grow from and to propel yourself from into a new area that you have not thought about. If we saw rejection and failure, according to the world, as sometimes God's way of nudging us in different directions, how differently we would respond to those circumstances. The other thing that happened at the end of the service, which I did not expect, was that people came to the door and told me the difference that my dad had made in their lives over his 25 years of pastoring that church. Person after person after person came up and shared their story if it wasn't for your dad coming to visit us and getting us in church, my grandchildren would not be here today. If it wasn't for your dad visiting my husband at the hospital when he was dying, he would have never made a profession of faith before he left this life. If it wasn't for your dad starting Girl Scouts when everybody else said they're going to mess up the whole building, my girls would have never grown up in church. A lot of times we won't hear the stories of the impact that we've had on people in their lives. But the stories are out there because we continue to be faithful and go out with the authority that God has given us to do his work. All of this was only possible because Jesus gave authority to his disciples. So today what I want to ask the Lord to give you is the authority to go forward 
to be propelled in your witness and to be encouraged not to quit at the first sign of trouble. It's so important not to quit. One of the things that I always remember is Jesus didn't quit and they killed him. I shouldn't quit no matter how tough it gets. May God give us the strength to go forward in his name and by his authority to spread his kingdom. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this message that you give us in Mark, Lord, that reminds us that we should never quit, that rejection and even what the world sees as failure can be used by you to propel us into new areas of ministry. We ask, O oh Lord, on this day that you will encourage us to go forward, Lord. Continue knocking on those doors to continue to tell people about Jesus, to continue to show people your love regardless of what they do or say to us. Help us, Lord, to know that when you send us, you send us with your authority, with your power, that we can pray for the sick and they can be healed, that we can pray for the brokenhearted and they can be mended, that we can pray for those who are prisoners and they can be set free. Give us, O oh Lord, that authority and that power. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. The altar is open today as we worship once again if you need to go, have that authority to go forward.